Hi there, I'm Jazzy Cook and I'm here with SciDance, a podcast to open and explore the world of dance science. Anastasia graduated from the Royal Academy of Dance in 2017, gaining her BA Ons in ballet education as well as her licentiate and RID associate status. She is currently working as a freelance da- dance educator in London. Anastasia recently gained distinction for her MSc in Dance Science at Trinity Lab and Conservatoire of Music and Dance, connecting her love of dance to her interest in health and well-being. Since then, she has completed a year-long internship with One Dance UK's Healthier Dancer programme, organising events and creating resources on dancers' health. Anastasia's research on health promotion was awarded the 2019 Travel Grant Award from the International Association for Dance Medicine and Science, as well as a conference award from the Society for Education, Music and Psychology. She has presented her MSc research in London, Helsinki, Canada and Australia. Anastasia aspires to create supportive environments, strengthen community action and build healthy public policy, particularly in dance and the performing arts, which we'll talk about today. She is currently completing her Master's in Global Public Health at King's College London. Hi Anastasia, how are you? Good, thank you Jasmine, how are you? Yeah, really good, thank you. Thank you so much for joining me today. Um, so we'll just start with sort of a little overview of yourself. So I know that you were an ex-babe student at RAD and then you went on to do your Master's. So I guess a little bit about your career, how you got to where you are now and where your interest in health promotion, which we're going to talk about today, stems from. Yeah, thank you. Um, so just a little bit before getting to RAD, I've been interested in a parallel route of uh, dance and science for a while now. I mean, I grew up dancing from quite a young age and I was always doing science at school, doing biology and chemistry at um, A-level here in the UK. And to be completely honest, at some points it felt like a bit of a choice. I was not really sure which way to go, being pulled um, from both directions. But when I chose to continue my studies at the Royal Academy of Dance, I I'm sure a little bit uh, similar to yourself, I found dance science, um, which introduced all these concepts of um, sort of safe practice and injury prevention that are really important for the classroom. And I just sort of became hooked ever since then. Uh, straight after RAD, I went on to Laban. And then I really got my first exposure of um, dancers' health and the research that's going on there at the moment. And yeah, I think I just became really interested in extending um, sort of a health promoting, promoting research onto the dance community. So I'm going to talk a little bit more about my work today, which I'm excited about. And um, yeah, just at the moment, I've been teaching in London and also doing a little bit more studying in public health um, at King's. So hoping to build more bridges and sort of bring the two fields a bit closer together. Yeah, that's great. So if we start by looking at health promotion, where your master's is sort of in, so if you could give us an outline of what we mean when we refer to health, to health promotion. Yeah, sure. So um, initially, my master's at Trinity Laban um, chose to focus on health promotion. And what we mean by this concept is a positive idea of health and well-being within our population. So when you're thinking about the individuals and groups and communities that um, we have within our society, it's the kind of processes that are going to enable people to increase control over their health with the viewpoint that that can assist an improvement in health too. So it's really bringing forward 
um, a preventative approach, a positive approach alongside the treatment that we have and sort of medical approach that is ongoing and really strong within our society. And just to bring more of an emphasis of the um, wider socioeconomic uh, environmental factors which influence health. So I'll talk a little bit more about those um, within health, but yeah, it's just really bringing together kind of the policy, the environment, the community, the services, us as individuals, to see how we can make uh, a positive outcome of health. Yeah. yeah, sure. So we'll look at the potential role of health promotion in dance in a little bit. But if we just start with what sort of concepts of health and well-being are there? What should we be aware of when we're talking about this? Oh gosh, so many. Um, I think it's such a, it's such a complex, uh, but also exciting um, prospect to have such a diverse idea of health. I mean, we've got some core definitions that um, have been put out there quite a while ago now. So the World Health Organization, um, sort of 1948 time, they um, stated that health is a complete physical, social and mental um, well-being and also not merely the absence of disease or infirmity. So broadening out that definition. Um, and then there was a charter actually, which came out a little bit later um, in uh, Ottawa, which added that health is a resource, it's a positive concept, um, a resource for everyday life. So we've got lots of models and it just sort of depends on um, a practitioner's intentions and, and, and outcomes and what you're looking to achieve. So yeah, I think it is really important to consider though how your viewing health and what it means to you, especially if you're considering doing a bit of research or a bit of, of work in health promotion, um, or if you're giving any strategies or advice, you know, within an, uh, an intervention. So there's different aspects. Um, a really, really good model that I would uh, recommend people go and sort of read up a little bit more on if they're interested is the Dahlgren and Whitehead sort of rainbow model, which some people may have seen. Um, I can provide a link, but that basically just talks through like different layers of health. So you've got your, you know, your age, your life stage, um, sex, potentially ethnicity and genetics, and then working outwards from, from the individual, you've got their behaviors, the kind of social support that's around them, the community, their relationships, and then the wider living, working and socioeconomic uh, conditions. So it really can be from, you know, right, uh, um, like the genetics all the way out to your environmental factors. Yeah, so in light of this, what do we know about these concepts of health and well-being in dance? Yeah, so there has been um, a lot of research in, in dance to, well, a lot, I say, as much as there can be in dance at the moment. It's growing, definitely. Um, we have had quite a lot of focus on um, things like uh, injury, burnout, exhaustion, sort of eating disorders, um, which have followed kind of a sort of medical model of health, which has dominated a lot of the, the discourse on health generally. So this, this idea of absence of disease, of like a fully functioning body. Um, and yeah, I mean, dance is a, is a quite a strenuous profession. The training is, is challenging. The conditions can be challenging. Um, both working and training. So 
there have been um, research into those aspects, but not as much um, onto the more positive sort of behaviors of the dancers that um, are either training or working in or the kind of positive aspects of their environment or their social support. So yeah, that's kind of why I was interested in um, bringing sort of a health promoting side to the research. Yeah, so we'll have a little look at your research in a minute. But just before we do, could we just look at what do you think the potential role, if there is one, of health promotion in dance is? Yeah, definitely. Um, so as I mentioned at the beginning with health promotion, you're looking to build um, this positive idea of health and to bring forward different aspects of policy and to look at the environment, the, the communities, how they're working, um, the services, the, the individual skills of, of your dancers or your you know, professionals working with dancers. So there is so much potential and it just completely depends on where you know you want to take it either as a practitioner as a researcher so one of the things that is uh, quite commonly done uh, in general health promotion is this idea of intervening uh, of sort of change of positive change um, and we we advocate for you know theory-based solutions so looking a little bit behind as to why you're looking to do well Firstly, what's going on, how, why you're looking to change it, how you're looking to change it, and then evaluating that change at the end. So different ways you can bring about those health promoting interventions can be uh, either sort of campaigns that we see um, or information, policy work that's happening sort of at a bit higher level within government or so, um, individual sort of counselling or group education, and then different ways of developing the community. So there's so much potential and so many different ways you can go about it. And, and, and as I said, it just depends on um, your intention and your outcome and what's best going, what strategy is best going to work for your um, situation. But within dance, I would say, yeah, it's just, there's potential to, to really equip dancers to, to make health, you know, their business, to see what they've got control of, to start understanding what healthier choices mean for them in their environment, in their schedules. And yeah, something not spoken about too often, uh, the, the kind of inequalities that we have in health also. So, you know, maybe there's room for that within dance. Um, I'm sure this was prevalent everywhere at the moment, but yeah, there, there's lots of, lots of potential. Yeah, sure. So if we just look at your research, which you presented at iAdams last year, um, mm -hmm. So it's qualitative research and it's focused on modifiable determinants. Could you just tell us a little bit about this and what this means? Sort of an overview of what you looked at, I guess. Yeah, of course. So within health, um, you've got, as I mentioned, the different determinants uh, within that rainbow model. So, you know, your behaviours, uh, the support, the wider, wide, the wider factors and modifiable determinants. Um, sort of refer to the, the determinants that are possible to changing. So uh, Nutbeam, who is a public health researcher, health promoting researcher, he identified three um, key modifiable determinants within his model. So the lifestyles, the services, and also the environment, quite broad. Um, so I chose to focus on and getting a better understanding of these determinants within 
a dance population and particularly a dance population that's undergoing uh, training prior to heading out to um, the, the, the work. You did interviews, is that right, with um, existing, based on existing research with music students and um, looking at these health promoting behaviours and environments and services. Could you just talk to us a little bit about what these interviews look like? Yeah. yeah, sure. So, yeah, as you mentioned, my research was based on um, some published work at the Royal College of Music. Um, it was a wide, a wide project um, with many organisations involved. But this particular strand that I focused on was by um, a researcher there called Rosie Perkins. And she was focusing on those three determinants I just mentioned, the um, health promoting behaviours or lifestyles, environments and the services within the higher education music environment and also uh, enablers and barriers to health so um, aspects of health that students felt were enabling or facilitating uh, to their health and what was potentially a barrier to achieving uh, you know, optimal optimal health um, so the interviews, yeah, they were based quite closely to, I was fortunate enough to have access to the published um, interview schedule from these um, studies in higher education in music. So I adapted the schedule to reflect um, sort of the dancers, uh, focus and training, and they included different questions on uh, their background, uh, how they defined health and well-being. This was an addition that I added for my uh, own research. And then the general experiences that they've had, you know, positive experiences, what they felt was a, a barrier to their health. And then some more uh, questions on the services and environments that they've had access to. Uh, and yeah, there were 10 students, which I interviewed, six women, uh, four men, they were all around 21 years old and um, yeah, they were students of higher education um, at the time in dance. Yeah, so we can look at these results a little bit more closely in a minute, but if we just start with something I found really interesting is that there are specific life situations that can then shape health. So for example, in your research, you identify higher education and adolescence. So before we talk about the other results, could you just talk a little bit about these and what you sort of found the impact of them to be on the dancer's health? Sure, the, the life situations, yeah. Um, I will talk about this a little bit more with my results because it came up as a theme, but this um, idea of experiencing change or transition to um, higher education in this, in this instance um, brought about its own set of challenges, but also positive outcomes. Um, but yeah, there is this notion of... Um, intervening particularly within health promotion at specific points uh, of change so so a, a good example that we have seen in the general population um, may be during the period of, of a woman's maternity that might make them uh, more susceptible to a health promotion uh, intervention and positive change around that life change yeah yeah great so if we look at then sort of some more results that came out of your study. So something interesting was the definitions that you looked at for sort of for yourself, for your own study. So what definitions of health and wellbeing among dance students did you tend to find? What were the sort of common themes here? Mm, yeah, so the, like I said, this was something that I added to my own research um, out of interest. Following the literature, you know, I spoke a bit at the beginning about how um, 
different it is across populations. So I wanted to, to I wanted to see um, what the general sort of theme that was around health with the students that I spoke with. And I was quite pleased to see that um, many students spoke about physical and mental health and the influence that that has across each other. So um, health was the seen as this health was seen as this broad and sort of all encompassing state for them, which was really positive. And also, in addition to that, many, many of them spoke about the idea of happiness and how happy you are um, doing, you know, the things that you're doing. And uh, finally, also, finally, the importance of it, it was seen as a, an important factor and something that changed. Yeah. So broad sort of idea of happiness, physical and mental health and important and changing. Yeah, that's really encouraging to see. So something else that was sort of a theme was the challenges during higher education, which we touched on a minute ago. But have you got like examples of any specific challenges that they tended to face or any themes that came up from this area? With the challenges, the theme that came around challenges faced in higher education, I'll go into them a little bit more, but there were five, five main ones that we found. Um, this idea of transitioning into higher education, the psychological challenges that you're experiencing, schedule overload, um, access to non-specific healthcare, and then this idea of peer pressure as well. So with the transition to higher education, it was um, focusing on these increased responsibilities that the students are having to um, take on either after moving away from home um, or you know, living by themselves for the first time. And linked to that, it was the maintenance of this healthy lifestyle that they felt they had to um, keep up with. So many spoke about, you know, cooking for themselves for the first time and not really, not really being sure what to do there. You know, we had someone saying uh, that, uh, you know, all I can get my, my hands on is a tin, of, a tin of beans at the end of the day, you know, after the gym, after working, all I want to do is just have a tin of beans and, and go home and, you know, I can't speak, you know, for nutritional value too much, um, but there are certainly, you know, things that we can be doing there to facilitate this transition into, you know, potentially being responsible for maintaining your healthy lifestyle, maybe for the first time. And uh, it's good to figure things out, you know, with trial and error, but where we can, if there's room to intervene um, with that transition, you know, why not? Um, another thing which came under this theme of transitioning was, you know, competition between a new set of peers that you may have found yourself within. Um, many people, you know, may or may not have been training in a, in a similar setting from when they were younger, you know, similar peer group around them. Uh, but, you know, a lot of the students that I spoke to found themselves in a, in a completely new student cohort and that brought about you know, potentially feelings of self-doubt or some comparisons there, you know. Um, this linked onto the second theme quite nicely in terms of psychological challenges with negative body image and being with new teachers, new students, having maybe new, um, yeah, new I don't want to say, you know, I'm hesitant to say standards, but there, there is a change there of, of, of 
what your surrounding um, studio is looking like and the people that are inhabiting that studio as well. So a couple did speak about negative body images within that context of, of a new sort of environment. Um, and then also increased academic pressures and grades because many of these uh, students, and I should have said actually within the methods um, that we did speak to a number of people within vocational settings uh, and also university-based degrees. So um, there are similar, I found that, that you know, there are similar experiences in terms of, of scheduling and having both dance practice and also academic subjects that you have to do. There might be slightly different um, makeup along different degrees, but all students certainly had to keep up, you know, their academic grades, uh, those kind of demands alongside their dance training. So that was potentially a psychological challenge that was described and working a little bit backwards, the biggest one that was experienced by the students was psychological impact of injury and the anxiety, the time loss that brought to the training, you know, sitting out of class, um, not being able to physically participate, the, the descriptions of, you know, people watching their peers, wanting to join in, um, maybe even feeling like it's the end of the world. Are you going to get, be, are you going to be able to get back to where you were? What will this mean? And interestingly, I found a couple of people um, spoke about this potential impact that they can have on their careers. You know, are employers going to see me as a healthy, you know, air quote, healthy and employable dancer? Um, so, you know, you've got a couple of first years saying that, a couple of third years saying that also. Uh, so psychological challenges was a big one. I've got actually a quote here on mental health that was um, disclosed by you know, one of our participants, she's happy for me to include this. Uh, and it says, you, know, you can't get a doctor's note for mental health unless you're prescribed medication and stuff like that. It's something a lot of people struggle with. So I thought this was quite a powerful message on the discrepancy of you know, maybe being able to go to the doctor and, quite, uh, and getting um, you know, a note for physically not being able to participate out of class, but then the maybe not quite as easy to get that mental mental health doctor's note, you know, I don't know how to best describe that, but I think the listeners might know, you know, what we're talking about here. Um, so yeah, our third theme on the challenges was this schedule overload. Many students have to train really long hours and, um, you know, short scheduled breaks can impact on, you know, the things that students can eat uh, within between classes, the amount of rest that they have between classes, and also how that impacts on their safe practice. You know, you've, you've got a lot to do. Do you have time to stretch and cool down properly or even warm up between your next lesson if you're running around constantly? Um, so that was, that was described. And then we've got this um, dance-specific health provision also which um, students actually described in being important to them to have access to healthcare professionals that understood the demands or the kind of lifestyle and training that they were going through um, and how that reflected on the type of care that they needed. Um, we also had 
uh, discrepancies in cost of healthcare. So some students had access to free services, others had access to the first session free, then the follow up there had to be payments, and others, you know, had to pay throughout. So um, understandably, with the students that were having to, um, you know, pay for this care, especially if it was a, an ongoing sort of chronic condition, many just simply could not, you know, access, which is a real, real shame within the kind of environment that we're training in. Um, and yeah, they, the final one, which actually, again, a really interesting one is this notion of peer pressure. So many actually had to, well, described having to choose between attending social events that may have involved drinking or, you know, going out and staying, staying late, staying out late, which uh, may have impacted on sleep. And then a lot of them brought this back into their dance training. So what is this going to mean for my dance training? What is, you know, this peer um, pressure to go out and maybe engaging those behaviors going to mean, going to mean for, injury, you know, potential weight gain. So then we're starting to describe a, a bit of social sacrifice or restriction to maintain that healthy lifestyle, but also participate. So some really interesting themes there on challenges uh, from transitioning to the mental health, the scheduling, the dance specific health provision, and finally peer pressures and attending uh, the social events. Yeah, definitely. I think there's so many challenges during higher education that need to be acknowledged. And I think a lot of dancers listening, especially maybe if they're in that stage in their life, will really relate to that. And I hope they find some comfort in it and knowing that there are solutions. So if we look at now the engagement with health promoting behaviours, I guess, so that's sort of the next section of your results and themes. What did you tend to find here? Yes. Yeah, so the next theme which came about was this idea of health promoting behaviors. So as I mentioned, you can have these behaviors, environments and services, but within that you can, they can be health promoting or health harming. But yeah, this idea of health promoting behaviors is, is looking at actions or habits um, that people are undertaking, which relates to them maintaining or improving their health. So you've got things like diet, exercise, smoking and so on um, so we did actually find yeah engagement with these health promoting behaviors which was really positive finding for um, myself and my supervisor also um, we had students speak about um, everyday self-care so what health promoting meant for them could be taking time for myself doing things that make uh, for themselves, myself, doing things that take that make them happy, or uh, and um, yeah, just generally sort of engaging with things like meditation, sleeping, drawing. We had those kind of examples described by the dance students. So things they they engaged with outside of their training, um, and then another thing relating to those uh, health promoting behaviors was the source of control so whether it was active or passive engagement you know in, internal or external uh, focus of control and there was an interesting split within the findings because we had um, 
I would say about half of the cohort speak um, about themselves as being, you know, truly responsible for their health. Um, whereas the other half of the cohort also engaged, uh, also, whereas the other half of the cohort, uh, whereas the other half of the cohort mentioned teachers and practitioners around them during their time in higher education, being responsible for uh, that engagement with health promotion. So there is scope there, I, I think, for a little bit of inter, uh, intervention, but an interesting split nonetheless among, among the dancers that I spoke with. Um, the final sort of subsection which came out within this engagement of health promoting behaviours was this idea of resilience throughout higher education. So this idea of um, developing and learning as an individual um, within those challenges faced uh, so the, the things that we just spoke about, transitioning, um, the scheduling, the peer pressure, a lot of people went on to speak about the positive adaptations um, to those challenges that they experienced. So that was, it was really lovely to speak to those students about and to see how they overcame that. Yeah, definitely. So I guess sort of off that a little bit is the sources of social and emotional support that there were. So maybe the second group, the other, the second 50% of the cohort, who sort of identified other people being responsible for their healthcare. Perhaps that's most relevant here. But for both groups, what sources of social and emotional support did you sort of find? Mm. Yeah, so... I, I would say definitely beyond that second group, so beyond that responsibility for health, all students um, spoke about this idea of health support and who they go to um, in times of you know, need or with any challenges that they're experiencing relating to their health. And we came out with three main groups, family and friends, institutional or educational support and then the healthcare professionals. So to me, that is such a comprehensive network that the students have formed around themselves, you know, right from those family and friends to maybe teachers and, and um, sort of program leaders uh, to the healthcare professionals that they're going to for care uh, for health related um, issues. Um, so yeah, they, again, I think many people extended that the challenges that they had experienced in higher education to overcoming those challenges um, and who was sort of facilitating that with socially and emotionally and that's the support network that was around them there. So it was really um, comprehensive, as I mentioned, and it just sort of differed depending on what the students needed advice or support with. So some issues were more relevant to go to parents or, or peers. And actually peers were both the friends that they had within higher education, but also people spoke about having a network outside of maybe dancer training, the studio, having people to go to outside of that that might give them you know, a slightly different perspective to what they're experiencing. Um, Secondly, having, you know, staff surrounding them that people could relate to as, as, as mentors, as trusted mentors that um, they can go to for various things. And 
with healthcare professionals, we had um, discussions more surrounding injury prevention and self-practice related support um, that the students described. Yeah, um, a really good um, quote that I had related to staff being um, more than more than teachers. So if a students if a student needs to go to a teacher for more than just the class that they're providing more than just you know the ballet class or the um or the dance science class to be able to give more advice more support uh than than just that hour that the student and teacher has together so i found this idea of uh, trusted mentors is really interesting alongside the family uh, the friends and the healthcare support yeah so something that we've touched on sort of throughout the whole thing that I haven't really looked at in depth yet is the enablers and the barriers to health. So what did you identify in your research as the enablers and the barriers to health that tended to come up? Yeah, so this idea of enabling, enablers and barriers to health um, really came from those studies in music that I mentioned my interviews were based on. So there's a, there's a lot more work that's happened in music um, sort of looking a bit more at the health promoting behaviors and, and barriers to the environment and services and lifestyles. Um, that study by Rosie Perkins, which I mentioned, and I can, we can link it below, um, used those different kind of frameworks to look at um, what students felt were facilitating their health and what was a barrier to it. So within the research with dancers and dance students, um, many of the enablers focused on the social and emotional support that the students had around them. So the institutional support, uh, this having staff as trusted mentors, and just a wide, wide network of social support to go to. Um, students describe that as enabling to health or facilitating on the flip side of that um, barriers to health many of the students described the impact of exhaustion the cost of healthcare, which we touched upon a little bit earlier and this idea of uh, lack of self-belief um, potentially within this new co cohort that they find themselves transitioned in um, so being tired uh, being uh, potentially not accessing healthcare and uh, yeah this lack of self-belief as being a barrier so yeah the um it was quite interesting to relate this a little bit back to the music studies to have to have a look at what uh, what was going on there and yeah it was interesting to to really see the central role of, of you know, the teacher in providing support. So whether that's uh, an instrument teacher in the music environment or you know, your, your dance teacher that you've got um, whilst you're training. And um, yeah, that was, a, that was visible across, across both settings, I would say. Uh, another thing that was visible across both settings is, was this awareness of health and well-being in the lifestyles. So, you know, not necessarily um, maintaining it, you know, forevermore, but everyone was, had an awareness and that was also visible in, in, in music. Um, people were, were talking about what they felt a healthy dancer or a healthy body or a healthy mind was. 
So that was really, um, um, it was really, you know, interesting to make those connections. Um, on the flip side of that, again, in, in music, we, they did report, um, uh, you know, poor sleeping quality and some low self-rated health uh, within the study that um, actually my supervisor, uh, Liliana Arojo, uh, conducted. She is the um, program leader on the dance science at Trinity Lab. And so I can link that um, article, we can link that article down below if people are interested in reading a bit more about the, what's going on in music too. Um, and yeah, just some other barriers that were described um, in the Rosie Perkins study um, was that comparison and competition, you know, the pressure, the stress. And again, music students also described struggling to maintain whatever that, you know, that healthy lifestyle was. Um, so yeah, there's some good comparisons going on and, and it's balancing out, you know, you've got your, you've got your struggles, but you also have the positives, um, the positive support networks that both dancers and musicians are aware of and have around them. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So I guess what I'm sort of wondering is where, where next with this field of health promotion? So what, I guess, would you like to look at next if you were to do a further study and where do you see this health promotion in dance going in the future? Great. Yeah, great question. <laughs> Thank you, Jasmine. Where to next? Um, yeah, so I think on a, on a, you know, on a personal level, I really enjoy doing this piece of work. And I knew as soon as I had finished um, that there was more. To be honest, if I learned one thing from doing this bit of research is um, how much, frankly, I don't know <laughs> and how much there is out there. Um, which is why I took it upon myself to continue my studies and to continue public health. And I guess where next, I just want to build more bridges and continue um, maybe bringing some of those wider principles of health within the dance community, continuing to champion um, the positive aspects of, of dancers' health. And one other thing I did want to stress is with all of these things that we've spoken about today, no, by no means am I saying that this um, doesn't exist or this kind of good practice is not going out, it's not going on out there. Um, there are many people and many practitioners and dancers regularly engaging with, I'd say the majority of aspects of health promotion. It's, it's more about bringing awareness to that and getting the, grounding you know for research-based discussions to move forward because I think you have to provide in the kind of world that we live in you evidence is a, is a really valuable thing at the moment and I'm sure that whilst I uh, I have been mindful not to mention the you know pandemics and COVID but a lot of the things that we're seeing at the moment are evidence-based and it's guiding the guiding the decisions that we make and guiding um, how people move forward and I really do think that it should be the same in the dance community so the cases of good practice that we have it's potentially giving them a framework and and you know telling telling people that yeah what you're doing is you know it does have you know theoretical backing you know you're, you're it's, it's good job and and why not extend it um, as wide as we can 
Um, a couple of things that might be interesting uh, for people to think about if they're interested in research or to extend this work and uh, myself also if I can get hold of some funding and some some more time in the schedule uh, but yeah no we we spoke about this idea of health changing over time and being dynamic and being influenced by many things so research into health over time and trends over time within the dance population I think would be really valuable right now um, I mentioned right at the beginning that within the general public health sector you have a lot more intervention and a lot more evaluation going on it's quite quite tricky to do in dance at the moment um, because of the because of the limited research that limited evidence that we have to theoretically back our suggestions going forward but i would say there's more than enough um, research in, in general public health to start picking from and start implementing within the dance population. So different strategies, like we said, campaigns, policies, what does that mean for dancers? How can we implement that into dance? How can we evaluate the, the change that, that goes on with that? Um, and also, what does healthy policy really mean for dance? I mean, no one as far as I'm aware of on, 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 the re, on the publication level, has really delved into the, the, the policies behind the way that things are happening. And on a final, final note, uh, this is just something that I want to throw in there to get conversations going. But what does health inequality also mean in dance? You know, we have um, you know, unfortunately, we do have health inequalities and, and inequalities in access to care, you know, the cost that the students spoke about um, within services. Yeah, what, what's going on there? Why, why not research that a little bit more and, and get the conversations going? Yeah, definitely. I think that's really important to recognise. And I think this whole area, for, for lack of a better term, is not widely advertised, I suppose. Um, and it's such an interesting area, health promotion, that I think more people definitely need to be looking into. Um, I guess before we, we end this podcast, is there anything else you'd like to discuss or mention before we leave? Yeah, oh, I really like that term advertise actually, because it's like I said, it's, it's not like it's not going on at the moment. It's just bringing attention to it and, and, and advertising it. Yeah, that's such a good way of putting it. Um, on, a, yeah, on a final note, I, I've been mindful not to do, you know, make this pandemic focused, but we cannot finish the podcast without recognizing that it is an incredibly challenging time, particularly within the dance community. You know, the majority of students, professionals, healthcare workers within the profession are not too sure what's going on. Um, and that's why I think it's really good to link some support, UK-based support at least, that One Dance UK have put together. I think we can, we can add that if, if you're happy with that. Um, and also uh, a, a short blog piece that I wrote for Trinity Laban on uh, Dance for Health during COVID because that has got a couple more resources on there. So. I guess a lot of the theory on health, you know, there's a, there's a lot going on, many layers, many things influencing our health. And I would encourage people just to think of health promotion as, as a positive way of taking control. I personally see each layer of that Whitehead and Dahlgren um, model as 
a layer of opportunity to do something for your health, which, you know, you enjoy, makes you happy, makes you feel good, makes you feel like you're making a difference uh, either for yourself or for others. So, yeah, I think, you know, in listening to this podcast, don't, you know, don't walk away feeling I'm going to wake up tomorrow and change everything at once, change my behavior, change my environment, uh, change my socioeconomic factors <laughs> or, 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 and so on. But yeah, just start to recognize that there's potential for, for good, for, for positive change in many, many different areas. And it's not going to be the same across all individuals and it's not going to be the same across time. And, you know, be excited by that. I certainly am. So yeah, on a, on a final note, I'd say just take it easy. See this podcast as a, as, as, as a bit of information out there. And even if one thing has sparked interest um, for anyone listening, particularly within the dance community, as you said, Jasmine, we're not, we're not discussing these, uh, these things as much as we can be. Yeah, get, get in touch with us. And I'm sure we'd both love to continue the conversation. And yeah, we've got details below. So take it easy. And anyone listening, um, I'm sure we're going to get through this united and all together in a positive way. Oh, absolutely. That's so lovely, Anastasia. And definitely get in touch with us because we'd love to keep talking, both of us, I'm sure. Um, thank you so much for joining me today um, and for your time. And I hope that everyone has learned as much as I did. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening and tune in again next Monday for another episode of Dance.